Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. As always, delighted to have you with us, lovely listener. We do enjoy that you are with us and listening in to our podcast, all things HR related. We have an interesting topic today. It's a book. It's almost a bit of a book review topic, and we're going to bring the author in in a second. But before that, I need to bring in a co-conspirator, a partner in crime. It is Aaron Albury. Aaron, how are you doing from your temporary accommodation as you get some work done at home? To be very clear, Chris, the house is getting work done, not me, just for the listeners to understand that. I'm very well. I'm very well. Great to see you and hear you. Looking forward to today, actually. So yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it'll be really, really interesting, actually. And let's bring in our guest, actually. His name's Christian Burkle. He works for an organisation called HR Pepper, and he has written a book. Now, the book itself is in German. So if you do want a copy of it, obviously, you probably need to be able to speak German in order to get it. But because there's some such interesting concepts in the book, Aaron and I thought, let's get the guys from HR Pepper, let's get Christian along just to talk about some of the concepts within it. Because there's some really, really fascinating stuff in there, isn't there, isn't there Aaron? There is. And we can practice our German as we go, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But Christian, lovely to have you on the show. Well, it's great being here today. And as you just mentioned, I mean, the book is in German. So actually, it's the first time for me to talk about the book in English. So I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity. So thank you very much for having me. No, it's great to have you on. And I feel delighted that I've got an exclusive. I've got an exclusive. <laughs> You've never spoken to anybody else about this in English. So I'm delighted. I'll put that down as my objectives ticked off. One of those, Aaron. Brilliant. Excellent. But let's talk about the book. But before we do, can you just give us a bit of an overview as to HR Pepper? And yourself? Sure. I start with the company. Well, HR Pepper, we are a transformation consultancy. We design future-oriented organizations, and we feel that our success factor is our focus on people and their skills and their interaction. So with each project, we strive to make a small contribution towards making tomorrow's working world a little more sustainable. That's what's driving us. And we are not a classic management consultancy, and we don't want to be one. And our thinking, our acting is rather determined by what we call Pepper's style. So everyone is accepted in his or her uniqueness. And at the same time, we value appreciative cooperation. So everyone gets a lot of freedom to develop and shape oneself, as well as to live responsibility for themselves. And HR Pepper is the company. And we are currently more than 50 Peppers, as we call ourselves. And we work closely with a freelance community of rather equal size. We are based in three different locations in Germany, Berlin, Frankfurt, and Cologne. And our clients come from all sectors of the economy. So big ones, large ones, medium-sized companies, and public organizations. And most importantly, on June 24th, we will be celebrating our 10th anniversary. So together with our clients, partners, friends, and families, we'll be throwing a big party, and you're all cordially invited. <laughs> Lovely. That's amazing. <laughs> 
Brilliant. And there's a lot of synergy, isn't there, Aaron, between culturally how HR Pepper sort of are as a business and how they work with their staff and their approach to us, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Very much so, Chris. And I think for those who listen in our latest podcast, you'll know feel for how we operate and work as a business. And I think it's one of the things that got us close to HR Pepper, met Christian through that connection and the shared sorts of ways of operating and working a business in this space. You guys beat us to the punch on writing a book. So we're very excited about that and loving that. So we're looking forward to hearing a bit about it, I guess today. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I just say a couple of things about myself. So who's the author? Yes, because that might be helping to understand the content we are talking about. I live in Potsdam in Germany and together with my partner and our four kids. And from a professional perspective, I see myself as a passionate business researcher and obviously human business designer. So my goal is to unfold the potential of human beings as well as of the institutions they are working with. And then how do I do that? Essentially by improving the interactions of the people in those organizations. And at HR Pepper, I'm a partner and I'm responsible for the strategic positioning of the company as well as I'm working with large key accounts such as Deutsche Bahn and so on. And and in my vita, I, I combine experiences from my time in the media sector sector and the burgeoning internet business of the 1990s, various stations and organizational learning and development positions at global and boutique consultancies, which I have been involved with for maybe the last 25 years or so. In other words, topics such as customer experience, employee experience, innovation, change, resilience, and everything that starts with digital have been a common thread throughout my entire professional life. It's great to be here and to bring these different perspectives together for our conversation today. Excellent. Thanks, Christian. And, and I'm loving the title, Human Business Designer. That's fantastic. We have to come back to that along the way, certainly. I'd love to hear a little bit more, as our listeners would, I guess, for, for why you decided to write the book. Was it linked to the 10-year anniversary? Was that a trigger or was it something you've always wanted to do? Well, actually, the process started three years ago. And to be honest, it was about time and for quite a few reasons. We are a growing company. I don't want to brag about this, but we basically receive invitations from new clients almost on a daily basis. And new peppers keep joining the company. And what they're sharing is they're all looking for orientation. They'd like to get to know our perspective on what's going on in the working world, on the big changes that are happening, and how to navigate them. So we wanted to provide them with a fresh look on these themes. We wanted to inspire them. And not by prescribing them the typical 10-step recipe for eternal success, as it is often the way, or in most cases, with modern business books. We wanted to share with them our vision, the vision of an economy in which business is for people and not the other way around. Brilliant. And just can you just give us then a quick overview as to some of the sort of sections in the book and how you break it down and the main focus, I think. So and one of the things you obviously talk about is the four W's, the why, what, who, how. So right. obviously need some context explaining. It. Yeah. Uh, in German, obviously, the four W's work, but yeah. <laughs> the how is a, a little bit different. I would say the focus of our book is on institutions and that are struggling with the dynamics of the transformation they are trying to master. And if we look at that bigger picture, if we look at the tasks ahead of us in terms of transforming companies, our economic system, the society as a whole, and the, the crises that are going on, climate change, species extinction, the political instability, competition, and all these these kinds of things, they are so powerful that we need to radically rethink the relationship 
between people and institutions. Because we feel, is it really still about the profitability for the owners? That has been the dominant paradigm in the recent decades. Probably not. And is it still about designing great employee experiences, which is often the focus of today's HR departments? Actually, I think we need more and we need to fundamentally think of institutions from the people they were created for. So the purpose of companies is to serve the people, not the other way around. And this is why we speak of human business design, to make it clear that people are at the center of the business world and that all of us, especially we HR professionals, have a clear mandate to design this business world. And you mentioned the 4W question. And the point here is, you might remember Collins and Porus with their seminal work on truly excellent companies. They wrote more than 30 years ago Building a visionary company is a design problem, and great designers apply general principles, not mechanical lockstep lock dogma. Any specific how-to will almost certainly become obsolete. So the question is, what are these general principles? And here we found that most companies seem to be having a problem with answering four basic questions. Why do we need to change? Who are the people involved in the change and what needs to be changed and how shall that change take place? And if you want to, we can go in deeper into those four questions. If you take a look at the first one, why do we want to change something? Well, the why question in our experience is about the company learning to understand its motivation for change. We explicitly say it this way, learning to understand its motivation. I mean, obviously, when we are being called in, the client typically has some kind of reason why they called us in. But have they really fundamentally thought this through? And typically, the cause of a change is usually that the dynamic equilibrium of supply and demand is out of balance. So in other words, is there something on the part of the customer needs and requirements or on the part of the company's value propositions for these needs and requirements has started to move? So there's an adjustment required. But have they really developed a thorough understanding of those implications? Is that really a good reason for change? Can we create a compelling change story based on that? Or is it just the usual, well, we'll need to become more efficient or we need to become more profitable? Because there's so much change going on, people need to invest a lot of energy in order to digest that. And if we have a weak why answer, then people won't get anywhere with that change. Which brings us to the people who are the actors of the change. And the goal of that who question is for the company to clarify who is affected by the current change and which needs or requirements are being addressed in the first place. We propose um, human business design as a participative approach. It assumes that people negotiate the human business design architecture as self-determined subjects. We feel we should not look at people from an object perspective. They are agents who, above all, support what they themselves have created. Which brings us to the next question, what needs to change? And with the what question, the company focused then on the actual object of change, or to put it in Peter Drucker's terms, it's about doing the right things, isn't it? So over the years, and many, many change projects, 
projects, we have identified, we call them levels or dimensions, or actually we call them pontoons in our book. And they basically serve as reflection and consultation areas for the actors who are concerned with the change. And they are their characteristic and specific configuration are the network from which organizational capabilities are then developed. And if you want to, we can look into those pontoons a little more detail. Just want to finish with the last question. How do we approach change? And in German, the question is we, so it's still a W question. <laughs> <laughs> the company is determining and, and establishing practices for re renewal and further development. So they are kind of orchestrating this complex interplay. It's like an oscillation between poles of complexity in a goal-oriented manner. Typically, what happens is that the companies are embarking on a change process that comprises like eight action areas from strategizing until basically implementing and living the change. And this approach is based on design thinking because we have extensive experience with that kind of framework and we find it quite useful. So the process is an iterative, it's a breathing process, alternating between opening and conceptual style and closing and concretizing flight levels. And on the one hand, it's stable and provides necessary support for the participants on their journey into the unknown, because it's always an unknown which is waiting for us at the end of that process. And on the other hand, this process is flexible in order to unfold its full effect in relation to the specifics of the problem and the specifics of the actors and the prevailing environmental conditions. And as I said before, Human business design is focused on people. So it's about how change feels and affects those who are affected. And we Sometimes. summarize it by saying self-determination is the new freedom and complexity is its instigator. That's how we phrase it in a catchword. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, Christian. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. And, and it's great to hear the coverage. I think it'll help people understand the navigation of the book. Some great things to pick up. I, I do want to drop into the pod too, talk about those in, in a little mm -hmm. bit as well. A couple of questions before, if I can. You mentioned you started the book three years ago. Clearly, three years ago, we were not even aware of COVID at that time. Did anything change for you in writing the book when you looked at it? Because a lot of the things you talk about around the pontoons, around the participative piece, the agility elements and things are very much in keeping with post-COVID thinking as well. But was there anything that changed for you? One of the seven pontoons is about places and spaces. And well, I guess none of us would have thought two years ago that so much virtual work can be done. And yeah. we've worked with many clients at the beginning of COVID who felt quite challenged to continue their work based out of their home offices. We had a couple of clients who were used to that anyway because they're global companies and they're used to do working together on a virtual basis, but quite a few clients were pretty challenged with that. And it has an impact on many of the other pontoons, like culture and leadership, like processes and methods, like orientation and self-control. We can go deeper into those pontoons, but it actually helped us better understand what was going on, that it's not only about, okay, do I work from home or am I sitting in the office? Well, there's much more to that distinction. It's interesting we look at the seven the seven pontoons. You mentioned there are a couple more around process and orientation, culture and leadership. As you were writing the book, were there any that really stood out for you as being more of a priority pontoons for people to focus on? Or are they all things that client going through change should consider? What we are trying to provide with those seven pontoons is really that we are looking at all relevant parts of a company to develop a holistic picture of the situation.
situation and derive hypotheses on the problem and the need for change. And we look on the individual level, we look on the team level, and we look on the organizational level in order to break down previous patterns of thinking and behavior. And what we realize then is that those seven pontoons are really, they're related with each other. So we have companies that approach us because they want to become more innovative and then they talk about new products and services and maybe some new processes and methods. But obviously there needs to be a culture in place for that. They need to have the required resources and capabilities for that. So there's an interaction going on. And then there are other companies who say, well, we need to become more efficient. So again, we are looking at processes and methods, but maybe we all also look at some new steering system, new KPIs, new self-control systems. And again, there might be some new resources required for that. It is again a leadership question. What we realized over the course of the years when we came up with that framework, you could enter into that equation from any different perspective. And sometimes some of the pontoons are more affected, sometimes they are less affected, but hardly ever you're only dealing with one pontoon only. It's interesting. So earlier on, you talked about when we were talking about the four wires, sorry to jump back. I had this sort of on my list and I just jotted it down. And you talked about organizations, the important on from the wire side, they need to learn to understand change. The types of businesses that you've come across, does it differ based on the size of a business? Because obviously you get some organizations that maybe are a little bit more agile and can understand their need for change perhaps a little bit quicker than others. Is it often based on size? Is it a cultural thing? Because some organizations are just huge behemoths that changing culture or making changes like turning a huge tanker in the Panama Canal. So is company size a factor? Well, company size might be a factor when it comes to decision making, because at least when you're talking about smaller companies where you might have the single owner as the CEO, so you have a very solid and very unidimensional decision making line. And when you're talking about a global corporation, and obviously there are many decision makers who need to be involved. So that would be a difference. But there is no difference First of all, I don't know any institution anymore that operates in a stable environment. They're all affected by the dynamics of the environment. They're all affected by multitudes of change. Yeah. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I hardly don't know any organization anymore that doesn't have to deal with what we call hybrid organizations. And with hybrid, I don't refer to, do we work from home or are we in the office? There's much more hybrid. Hybrid refers to, we have different kinds of operating systems, which need to be somehow integrated under one common roof. So there might be parts of the business, um, some business units that still can work from a more vertical structure and other parts can or need more an agile structure. We have some parts of the business which there is required an innovation culture and we have other parts of the business where there is more like a clan culture important. So we see everything across the place and then the question becomes, okay, how do we integrate all that? And that is something that we've been seeing for quite some time now, which used to be quite different many years ago. In the past, companies were highly successful by being more one-dimensional. And that time seems to be over. And that doesn't matter if it's a small company or a big company, if it's a public institution or a private corporation. And so they're all dealing with that kind of ambidexterity, that hybrid, that 
different things need to be integrated under one roof and that there are a lot of tensions that need to be moderated. I love it, Christian, because I think you're right. Is that patchwork of cultures is not a bad thing now in an organization. I think for a long time it was viewed as potentially a bad thing. And as you say, those common threads of values, behaviors that are expected are what bring those various patchworks together, Mm -hmm. right? And allow you to have the ability to have flexible cultures, but depending on which part of the organization you're focused on, I think it's a great thing to unpack. There's more in your book, you bring in more concepts as well. You talk about the eight stages of design, for example. It'd, it'd be great just to talk a little bit more about that, just so people are think about when they're getting started on this change and building from that case to change and the why is such an important question, right? What are the stages they go through? Do you want to just share some of that with the listeners as well? Well, as I said, the process itself is more or less built on the design thinking framework. And we added on both ends, we added a stage. So the first stage is about strategizing. It's about identifying identifying and kind of sorting those strategic fields of action where we need to answer the initial why question and where we need to start identifying the main pontoons from which we probably will be working on. And then you move into the second stage. And what we often identify here as a challenge is people are coming together in that project and or in that change endeavor, and they might be coming from different parts of the organization, and they have different understanding. And it starts with terminology. What is change? What is the business about? What does success mean? What is performance about? All these kinds of things. So here in this second stage, the defined stage, we actually first clarify the terms and we need to be able to come together to at least try to develop a shared understanding of the problem or the challenge or the opportunity at hand. And then we go into the third stage, the understand stage. Ideally, we would be going out and do some field work, research the needs and the requirements, research the client needs or the employee needs or the needs of the partners before we come back in the fourth stage to synthesize what we have found and to cherish the differences maybe in those different perspectives. But eventually we need to determine our point of view in order to move on then to the next stage, to the fifth stage, the ideation phase, where we develop new ideas, fresh ideas ideas to address what we identified as the point of view, as the main challenge. And we try to do that in an experience-oriented way, because what we found is then in the next stage, in the sixth stage, the prototype stage, we want to prototype those ideas and we want to make them tangible so we can gather real feedback because people were experienced or had the opportunity to get in touch with the prototypes, had the opportunity to experience the main features of the prototype. So we can really test them on the seventh stage. We test them in terms of their impact. We also test them in terms of the viability. We test them in terms of economic aspects. And whatever has been tested and secured which is then delivered and implemented in the eighth stage, which we call the do stage, because then we are trying to living the new system, whatever the new system is, and we try to increase our success before we then go back and start with the first stage. And obviously, this sounded very sequential, 
as I pointed out before, it's an iterative process. So we might be jumping back and forth between those stages. Excellent. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. And I, and I think this point around stage two, that aligning and understanding is so often overlooked. You mm -hmm. talk there about understanding the why, but also understanding the language of success and what the success looks like and get that alignment. And you can see it time and again in projects that sort of fear off course is because there's a difference in understanding there's a difference in perception of what good is going to look like any thoughts to build out on that stage because i think that's such a critical one for people to focus on what we often find here is that people would love to jump to the solution right away because yeah. we are all so pressed and we are trained and we are socialized for quick decision makings and the competition is always faster than we are so we need to be moving ahead very quickly so before we really started to understand what the actual problem is our already have three solutions on the table. And yeah, we can then jump to the solution. We can do that. The problem is you cannot save time. There's no short circuit to success. So if you do jump to the solution, you will have more challenges later on the road with really digesting the change and you will be welcomed with lots of resistance and things like that. So it's really, really helpful to invest that time upfront to get your eggs in a row. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. Excellent. That is, we are just coming towards the end of the podcast. That has absolutely flown by. And I feel like we've barely even touched the surface <laughs> of some of the things that you talk about. I, have, mm -hmm. I, have, I agree with you, Chris. I've learned so many new phrases today, Christian, that I will shamelessly have to steal at some point. I love it. <laughs> Cherish the differences, human-based design. I'm loving it. And design as a breathing process was one of my favorite favorites as well yeah. so thank you so much for sharing today love that absolutely love that. just before we go though i'm going to ask you a really difficult question christian which is if you can distill everything about the book down to one nugget of information that you want our listeners to take away with as their final thing what's the one thing that you would say to them and i know that's a really hard question because there's so much in there well we said that businesses is for people and that means because our business world is so complex we as human beings need to find a way to deal with complexity to live with it and perhaps even to embrace it i love that i absolutely love that christian thank you very much for coming on today it's been really great to talk to you. It's been great. Thank you so much. Talking to you. And it was wonderful to share those ideas in English. Thank you yeah. very much for that. Yeah, exclusive, Aaron. We've got ourselves an exclusive. I love it. <laughs> Aaron, thank you very much, too, for coming on. Thanks, Chris. Uh, you can get this podcast through all of the places that you usually get a podcast. So we're on Spotify or on Stitcher or on SoundCloud. You can go to the Lace Partners website. You can see all of our back catalogue and also some of the content that we put together. Quite often, we'll take some of the interesting nuggets of our podcasts and then turn them into written pieces as well. So as Aaron said, we'll steal some of Christian's ideas and we'll put that out on his blog. And of course, we'll reference back to the lovely guys at HR Pepper. And the Peppers, I do love that. We call ourselves Laces. Yes. They call themselves peppers. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you for joining us on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye. -bye.